Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. Taking a look at the issues surrounding the health and well-being of our LGBTIQ communities, this is Well, 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 brought to you every week by Thorn Harbour Health. Here on Well, 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 we're now changing topics and having a bit of a discussion around May 28th, specifically LGBTQ Domestic Violence uh, Awareness Day coming up. Joining us now on the show is Victorian State Coordinator of LGBTI, LGBTQ Domestic Violence Awareness Foundation, uh, Rochelle Menzies. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for joining us. So first of all, what is LGBTQ Domestic Violence Awareness Day? So it's basically a day to raise awareness about domestic violence within the LGBTQ community. And it happens this coming Saturday on May 28th. And does it happen every year on May 28th? Or is this like every Saturday in the month? You know, like those sorts of dates? Yeah, no, it does happen on May 28th every year. So um, May is DV Awareness Month. And it's sort of, this is falling right at the end. I'm not quite sure why the actual 28th was chosen, but um, that's the day. And this is, will be the third year that we'll be celebrating this day. And is this originally an Australian initiative? Like it this is. Is it international or anything? Yeah. yeah. So originally Australian started off in Queensland and just recently has um, moved nation- nationally. So I've come onto the role as a state coordinator here only a couple of weeks ago. Oh, so very new to the... Very, very new, yes. So that's quite exciting. Um, So I'm really looking forward to what we can achieve in partnership with other organisations over the next 12 months for the Awareness Day next year. The initiative, as you said, is fairly new. Yeah. Um, How has it grown since it started? It has grown unbelievably. Oh, wow. So it has become international. There are countries right across the world that have really taken this on board. Um, so it's it's one of those things that has been quite surprising how many countries have really taken to it. And, you know, there's at this point, there's about a, a 300 plus countries. And it'll be interesting to see how many more come on board this year. And places like England, France, the USA, Canada, Wales, Ireland, New Zealand, the Netherlands, and many different organisations within those countries as well. So I've seen images, photos of you know the police officers in one country, fire brigade in another, an organisation in another. So it's not just the domestic violence services who have taken it on board, but a whole range of different services in other countries. I saw that before, and I thought that was remarkable. So you said it's how how long? How many years old is the initiative? Uh, this is the second three, so, second year. So the first year was 2020. All right. And oh, so that's just started in Queensland. And from that, you've now got 12 different countries around the world with 310, is it government departments and or organizations? Is that right? Yeah. No worries. So it's absolutely fantastic. And it's it's a, an issue that is often quite hidden. People don't talk about it or they don't know how to talk about it. It's not often recognized within people's relationships. They, can, they don't report. It, um, a lot of services don't know how to work with the community. So it is something that it's been quite surprising 
how it's just grown so much in a couple of years. Mm. Well, I think it shows how much of a need there is for more awareness of this particular topic and to be able to raise awareness that there is indeed domestic and family and intimate partner violence within LGBTQ communities. So, yeah, it's incredible to realise that it's something that started here in Australia. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. And I know that the the young man, Ben, who is behind this, this is an area he's been passionate about for a very long time. Mm. And I think I first met Ben over a decade ago when he started doing this work. So as I think I said before, you know, from small things, big things happen. When someone is passionate about a particular topic or an issue and they put everything into it, it's amazing what people can achieve. Of course. Well, getting into that, what is the prevalence I guess, of um, family and domestic violence for LGBTQ people? So it's at least one to two. Um, Some reports are around 60%, but we do know it's very underreported. As I said before, a lot of people don't recognise it in their own own relationships. I mean, broadly, this is an issue around DV. Oh, I haven't got bruises, so it's not domestic violence. Um, And I think the use of the word violence confuses people because they do think about physical or sexual violence. Well, when we're talking about power and control and abuse within mm. our communities, so this is really around a whole range of different ways that this can be present through emotional, mental, spiritual, financial, social. Um, there's lots of areas of abuse that people don't necessarily see that that fitting within the term domestic violence. So it's very underreported. It's underrecognised. So we talk about 60%, you know, one in two people. It's probably higher. Mm. That point where you listed kind of the various forms that it takes, I Mm. think that that's a really interesting thing. And, you know, I've had a few people in my life that have faced, uh, that are LGBTQ people that have faced family violence. And what you were talking about where we find ways to kind of self-select out, to disqualify, you know, really huge power imbalances where people might not have control of their own finances um, or control of their own social networks. And those are, you know, and that, those are really... I think it was so easy for us to kind of discount that. Definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think that um, th- there's a lot of information out there and certainly uh, when we're looking at the issue of family and domestic violence, just broadly, there is information out there. But so much of it is so heteronormative that people in the LGBTIQA plus community don't see themselves in those messages and in that information that's out there. So they think this isn't part of my life or my community. You're right. I think a lot of the stuff that we see is a very gendered narrative of, um, you know, male perpetrators, female victims, Definitely. and in same-sex relationships, that thro- that throws that whole narrative on its head, and so it's very hard for you know maybe female perpetrators to access you know help seeking um services and i think for male victims you know that kind of is difficult and then plus we've got you know our non-binary community as well that goes well where do i fit into this Um, exactly and i think that that's that's a really valid point because i know currently you know my my day job is with no to violence which is an organization that is funded for male perpetrator programs so when the funding is so gendered, even though the organisation is currently on their journey of rainbow tick, to be more inclusive, and that's what the organisation wants to do, it's really difficult when the funding is so gendered and those conversations are so gendered. And the information that we have out there about perpetrators, or I prefer to use the term people who use abuse mm-hmm. because they're people first, um, that it is very gendered and it's all the, all the narrative is about male violence 
And you're right. Where does everyone else fit within that picture? There are very, very few programs for women who are using abuse in their relationships, whether they're members of this community or not. Mm. Um, And also, where are the services for men who are experiencing abuse as well? And you're right. Where do everyone else in our trans and gender diverse community fit? Some of these gendered services might be perfect for them, but quite often they're not. So, Rochelle, tell us a bit about this year's theme, which is Seen and Believed. What is that all about? Well, I think it kind of buys back into the conversation we've just had, that we see LGBTIQ relationships and the domestic violence that happens in them, that it becomes visible, Mm. and that when people talk about it, we believe them. So one one side of it is that people don't necessarily see it within their relationships. The other side is that where are the services for me and will people believe me? And sometimes when they've talked about this to other people, they've been given a whole range of messages that are really invalidating. Oh, that's what queer relationships are like. Oh, a woman wouldn't do that to another woman. Oh, that's just two boys having a biffo, you know? So really, really toxic messages that people feel very invalidated and then they just don't talk about it anymore. So that when we we see it for what it is and we believe what people tell us. Yeah, and obviously that's for services, but also just general conversations every day. Definitely. When people bring that up, I mean, just taking that step to share what they're experiencing is a really massive thing. And whether that's for someone who's a victim survivor or someone who is using abuse or violence in their relationship to stop and say to someone, hey, like, I'm really struggling with this is massive and then to have that thrown back in their face in a way when they're not believed is so detrimental and is really a big part of this issue definitely it just creates another barrier to access doesn't it yeah so there's already barriers there for people but when they are reaching out for support no matter which side of the equation they're on and they're not seen and they're not believed the chances of them reaching out again are really diminished. And so, you know, this creates another another barrier for people to get the support that they need. And I know for me personally, if someone takes that moment to tell me about what's going on for them, I feel quite honoured that they've put that trust in me because I know as someone who has lived experience of being in relationships that there's been abuse I know how difficult it was for me to speak out so that I feel incredibly honored and want to validate that person around the experiences that they've had absolutely we're speaking to Rochelle Menzies here on well 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 we'll be back in just a moment From HIV to COVID-19, STIs and everything in between. You're listening to Well, Well, Well on Joy 94.9. And it's Jacinta and Cal still here with Rochelle Menzies from the LGBTQ Domestic Violence Awareness Foundation. It is the LGBTQ Domestic Violence Awareness Day this week coming up on the 28th of May. Rochelle, what are some resources and support services that are available for people who may be experiencing violence or coercive control or any of those other issues in their relationship? There's very few specific services for members of our community. Um, they're here in Victoria. There are certainly services through Drummond Street. Um, Thorn Harbour Health is just launching an amazing program for people who are using abuse. I was present at a presentation this morning around that clear space. That's right. That's clear yep. space is coming up. Fantastic that we're having something quite specific. Um, there, you know, Switchboard is very involved in providing information as well. 
And there are, are DV services out there who have got rainbow tick or who have done some training across their organisations around working with this community. So it's not that you have to necessarily come to the big smoke to access the services that you need. So contacting Switchboard is a great start. Um, Orange Door is also a service that has information around services that are out there and can filter through to which services are LGBTI inclusive. But reach out to your local service as well. If you're in a regional remote area, then reach out to the service and ask some questions around are they LGBTIQ inclusive? Um, and often you may see signs and symbols on their website. You know, is have they got the rainbow flag on their website? What is the language that they're using? What is it like when you talk to the person on the phone? What kind of questions do they ask? Have they asked questions around sexuality, gender, pronouns? Mm. Um, you, do you have an intersex variance? Have they asked questions around, are you a member of the LGBTIQ community? Do they use non-gendered language? All of these are signs that that service is going to be inclusive when they're working with you. Yeah, and how can people safely refer others to these support resources and services? So if someone's come to you and they've shared that they are experiencing this issue in their relationship, how can you safely encourage them maybe to reach out to those services or you know, is it possible to be there with them to help make that contact? I think bystanders are really important, um, have such a valuable role. And sometimes it is about checking in with the person if they want information. Yeah, you know, so it's this informed consent. Mm. Would you like some information? If you don't feel safe to find the information yourself, are you okay with me finding some information for you? Because, you know, it's wonderful to want to be a supportive friend and provide someone with brochures from places, but that could actually be detrimental to their safety. So having those conversations when you know that the person using the abuse is not around. And sometimes people will be in a bit of denial at first and just raising questions with people uh, have you i've noticed this going on in your relationship uh, sometimes questioning things because as we said before people often don't recognize it within their own relationships and then maybe getting some information for them and um, putting them in contact with switchboard and just letting them take the lead on the journey but walking beside them I love that point around starting out. I think uh, switchboard and queue life for further afield is you know a great place to start because, as you've said, you know there are new services being introduced. We are mm. starting to see some movement in this space, which is really exciting. But to stay abreast of that, you know, services like switchboard and queue life are kind of a, a kind of a good kind of clearinghouse of all of that information. So they're a great place to start, including for you know people that are supporting someone. Yeah, and I like that point that you you brought up about like when you're sharing that information with someone that you think is experiencing that, being mindful about how you pass that on because you know if you leave a brochure in their mailbox or you shoot them an email that's visible by the other person in their life who's using that violence that can actually go you know create a blow up because they go why is such and such sending you this what have you told them whatnot so that being mindful of that is a is a really um interesting thing i want to ask you a question here sort of kind of without notice around being there as a support for some people mm -hmm. because i i guess in my experience of supporting other people i've noticed sometimes it takes not only a bit of courage to work up to say, hey, I think I'm experiencing family violence or domestic violence, but also that there it's not like a one and done situation. I you know, had a situation where someone was in this and they sort of kind of wanted to engage with a service and they looked like they were going to go and do it. And then they sort of went right back into the relationship. And that happened, you know, mm -hmm. a couple times, times, more times than I probably care to remember. And um, 
I think that's a really frustrating thing. But like, do you have any advice for folks like that are supporting someone? Because I think yeah. from the outside, you kind of go, why can't you just leave this? And it's always more complex than that. It's like a cha-cha. Once, you know, two steps forward, one step back. As long as they're taking the two steps forward and you're there to support them, then you're getting somewhere. And I, I look, I definitely acknowledge it can be very, very frustrating. And quite up there, people are in love. Yeah. You know, maybe the relationship is toxic, but it doesn't invalidate the feelings that they may have for this person. And we certainly, when we're looking at what are the drivers behind some of this abuse that people are experiencing, um, you know, homophobia, transphobia, discrimination, stigma, all of these play into it for the person who's using the abuse, but also for the person who's experiencing it. If there is some internalized stuff going on for them, if they've got really low self-esteem, if they've been gaslit and told you're not going to get anyone else this is, a, this is what our relationships are like in our community. No one else is going to love you. You know, all of these things will just break a person down. So to the point where they, sometimes it's that old saying, better the devil you know than the devil you don't. I know this. I, know, I think I know how to manage this situation. What's it going to be like if I leave? And the fear around the unknown can be quite incredible. And even if we do support someone to leave a relationship or and to acknowledge what's going on then they're not always necessarily safe straight away so that sometimes if the perpetrator or the person using the abuse is still within their their sphere that sometimes they can ramp up and you know try to exert more control because hold on you're not with me anymore how can i control you so just being aware that the 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 risk doesn't necessarily go away immediately and to really look at what are the things going on in that person's world and that you've given them the advice and they've got this, the information and maybe they've left the relationship, they're still going to need your support afterwards. And it is a bit of a journey for people that they people will go back sometimes because it's just all too confronting, it's all too confusing. And, you know, I'm going to track you down and kill you is a huge threat that people, it may be real, or people are perceiving that it's real and that it's easier to stay in something no matter how unhealthy it is because the fear is so great. Mm. And I think it's interesting how you say something that is unhealthy because I think for some, well, I mean generally for people in relationships, like what is unhealthy, what is healthy, what does that actually look like particularly within our communities where we maybe necessarily don't have like role models to look up to who are in healthy relationships um you know what does that look like and how can people find that out i think you know there is a a lot of information out there just broadly around what healthy relationships are and that's the same for our community so a healthy relationship is respectful it's loving it's one where you feel happy and loved and respected though there's open honest communication uh, where you're cared for and you know a two-way street it goes both ways and there's lots of information out there but generally not as much around our community and what do these relationships look like in it in the lgbtiqa plus community so if there's workshops attend those um get some counseling as well but you're right where are the role models where are the people in our community that have been in happy, healthy relationships 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years? They're out there. 
they're probably just doing their own thing out in the burbs somewhere, but <laughs> they are out there and they're the stories we need to champion around this is what a healthy relationship looks like. If you're unhappy every single day, if you're crying every single day, if you feel worthless and invalidated in your relationship, that's not healthy. You know, what? It, and I often will do, um, in my other hat, I'm a sexologist, and I often do relationship workshops, particularly with young people. And you're right, we often, our primary relationships, our, our family relationships may not have necessarily been healthy. But if we look at what other qualities we want in a relationship, and perhaps look at the qualities we want in a relationship with friends, people that we choose, we will probably come up with all of those qualities of a healthy relationship. Mm. Um, we may or may not have had those in our family of origin, and, but they're quite transferable. No matter whether it's family, friends or partners, healthy relationship qualities are all the same. Mm, yeah, and it's about reaching out and finding that opportunity for education as well, which Definitely. You know, is so important to, to be able to learn what to expect in relationships. Definitely. And if you look at you know, the LGBTIQA plus organisations that are out there, they're often holding things. There's often workshops and information sessions available. One of the things that we've talked about a lot of people who are experiencing domestic family violence mm -hmm. in their life uh, as kind of, I guess, on the receiving end of that and some of the resources to go out there and support that. But we have mentioned that there are programs for people who are using abuse or violence. Do you have any advice for anybody out there who's kind of wondering, hmm, you know, is how I'm behaving in this relationship? Could that look, you know, should I be talking to somebody about that? Maybe am I being a bit too controlling or, you know, um, because like you said, it's not always just straight up physical violence. We kind of go no. there and kind of go, oh, it's not physical violence. I'm not hitting that person. So I'm, I'm in the clear. Um, how, do, how does one kind of do that sort of introspection if there's any, you know, if anybody out there listening is kind of wondering, you know, maybe, maybe I need to do a bit of a, a check in on how I'm kind of participating in relationships or they've been in a lot of relationships that have failed because they're using that, you know, violence in the broader sense. Yes. And I, it, it is a difficult place to get to, to kind of go, oh, hold on, what was my role? I often will say to people when they go, I've had all these relationships, I go, hmm, so what's been the common denominator? I was like, oh, me, okay, maybe I should look at the way I function in relationships. And it, it's hard to admit that maybe we haven't been the most pleasant person. Maybe we haven't been loving, caring and supportive. And there could be many, many reasons why. Maybe we never learned how. Maybe we're doing our relationships the same way as the relationships that we saw growing up. But we can learn to do things differently. So I would suggest reaching out to those services that are out there, um, and particularly for this community, for people who are, um, identify as male, contacting Thorn Harbour, having a chat to the people who are working in the programs, and just saying, look, these are the things that I'm seeing in, in myself, and yeah, what does that look like? And is it unhealthy? And I think the fact that people are questioning, then there's probably something going on there. The moment that we go, oh, hold on, am I being healthy in my relationships? There's obviously something that's happened that's brought that up. So I think that there are, if for a woman who's using abuse in her relationship, there are not as many services, but definitely um, Drummond Street. But once again, Switchboard Q Life, give them a call because they are kept up to date on what are the, the services that are happening at the moment and particularly with new programs emerging all the time. Great advice. So the LGBTQ Domestic Violence Awareness Day is on May 28th. 
How can people join this campaign and get involved? Well, jump on the website is probably the best thing to do. There is a whole range of different ways you can get involved. But one thing we're really encouraging people to do is to take the pledge. So if you jump on board, you take the pledge, there's also a list of different things that you can do and talk about it. This is about raising awareness. So talk about this issue with your family, with your friends, in your in your networks. Just bring it up so that people know it is a thing and what kind of things are out there to support people. Um, also look out for buildings around town lit up in rainbow colours. Okay. So um, this is part of the broader community supporting this initiative. So 101 George Street and Flinders Street Station are both going to be lit up this year here in Melbourne. Um, the same thing is happening right across the country and also internationally. And I know there's been some conversations with police, so I'm not quite sure which police stations will be doing it, but some will be as well. So, you know, this is one more way um, of just expressing this and ra- waving our rainbow flag in the family and domestic violence space. It, it seems kind of a, a bit strange because normally we're celebrating things, but in this instance, I think we're sort of saying, you know, family violence happens on our in our relationships as well. And it's not like someone wants to, you know, for us, we're so, so often centered around the idea of pride and we don't necessarily take pride in that, but you're, you're right. It's about, I guess, fostering that conversation. And even if, you know, family violence isn't a part of your relationship, being open to talking about it and maybe sharing it, you know, I guess in our line of work, you know, working from just myself working at Thorn Harbor, I've had people approach me to talk about it because they know that Thorn Harbor does that work. And so they feel safe to talk to someone yeah. about it, but we sort of need that signpost to know, you know what, what you're going through is totally valid and is something worth speaking up about. It is, and don't forget the power of social media. Right. So on the website, there are social media tiles. There's um, things you can email signatures, a whole range of different resources that you can utilize. Uh, Zoom backgrounds too, I used mine today. <laughs> there we go. So head to the website and join the campaign for LGBTQ Domestic Violence Awareness Day on May 28th. Thank you so much, Rochelle, for joining us in studio today. Thank you so much for raising awareness. Thanks for listening to Well, 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 your show for LGBTIQ health and wellbeing, presented by Joy Sponsor, Thorn Harbour Health. For more on these topics and much more, check out Thorn Harbour on social media at Thorn Harbour or via the website, thornharbour.org. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.